quit? Hey, talking to you. Do we have to quit? I could do that all day. That was, that was good stuff, y'all. Good singing. The good thing about sitting on the front is I get to hear all of you and them, but all of you. This is really good. Uh, man, so uh, this table reminds me of a funny story. Can I tell y'all? I'm going to anyway. Uh, so Pastor Sam Dennis, who was the pastor of Parkway Hills Baptist Church for many, many years, uh, invited me to come and preach one time. He was going to be traveling during the Christmas holidays and he asked if I could come fill in for him. And I said, sure, I'll come fill in for you. Now, I had never been there and I had never seen their setup or seen their platform or anything. And so I didn't know that he also used a table like this. Now, the thing about Pastor Sam Dennis was he's like 6'3", or maybe even more, I don't know, but he's quite a bit taller than me. So I'm not exaggerating, maybe a little, when I said, like, I went to put my Bible on the table and it was all the way up here like, and I'm like, okay, now look at this verse. And so I say all that to say, I'm so grateful that we have a pastor who is more my stature, uh, more my stature to share his table with me this morning. I don't have to tippy toe like I did before. Uh, please open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter nine. And uh, while you're turning there, I'm just going to share some things here with you. You know, we are a people who are given to prediction, all right? We love to predict, right? Political races, oh, we know who's going to win, you know, and people make a lot of money predicting that. Sporting events, we like to predict who's going to win a sporting event, you know. Like yesterday, I predicted Baylor was going to beat Texas by nine, and they did. So we all sicked them and went home happy. Um, we like to predict relationships, you know, like my second cousin twice removed is dating this, no good, no count, whatever. I predict it's going to fail within three weeks. Uh, and the weather, we predict the weather. Like people are prone to do this. Well, I'm going to read you some predictions. 1825. Anybody was around then? You just have to take my word for it. In the quarterly review in 1825, the editorial board wrote this. What could be more palpably absurd than the prospect held out of locomotives traveling twice as fast as stagecoaches? Yeah, I know, right? 1839, 1839, seven years before the introduction of anesthesia, around French surgeon Alfred Vel, Velpo, excuse me, he wrote this. The abolishment of pain in surgery is a fantasy. Or the idea of the abolishment of pain and surgery is a fantasy, is what he wrote. Uh, in 1956, British astronomer royal Richard van der Riet Woolley, now astronomer royal, that's like their version of a laureate, okay? So he's the guy they considered the smartest astronomer. He said the idea of space travel is utter nonsense. Yeah, I know. And then my favorite one probably of all was 1943, then chairman of IBM, Thomas Watson predicted that the worldwide market for computers would be about five. So everybody hold up your computer this morning, <laughs> right? You have more computing, computingness. I, I made that up. Uh, in your hand than they had in a room half this size, right? He says five. So have you ever wondered about such predictions? I think these kind of predictions, and people make those, I think ultimately it's about control because people tend fondly to remember how things were. 
And as human beings, we are usually less enamored with how things are or will be. You see, the world of stagecoaches was more ably controlled than the world of steam engines, right? A world of ledgers and pencils was more ably controlled than a world of supercomputers or smartphones or so people thought. And I sometimes wonder today what people are thinking today or predicting that, that others will come along a hundred years from now and read and they'll just kind of shake their hands. I remember when a media company offered to buy a church-owned radio station for a sizable sum of money and 75 years of free programming. And the church voted them down, asking the question, well, what happens when those 75 years are up? Some of you are laughing because you don't even turn on your radio anymore. It's all on your podcast, right? But that was the thing. What happens when those 75 years are? Questions like that, predictions like those I read, I think those are all made with a view to the past. Now look, I love thinking about the past. When, when Aaron goes off on a wah-wah solo, that's the term for it. Pastor Don's not in here this morning. I taught him that. But when, where are you, buddy? Is he in here, Aaron? He went out? Well, when he, like my mind just goes back to 1987 and when music was good. And I'm just in heaven when he does that, right? We tend to like to live in the past because even if all of the events of the past weren't pleasant, they're still known to us. And so by hanging on to the way things were, people can deceive ourselves into thinking that we can have more or better control over the way things are. Can I repeat that? By hanging on to the way things were, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we can have more or better control over the way things are. Because you see, if now can be made in the image of then, then we can control now more because we like to think we knew how things worked then, right? And so we have a choice to make. Now look, <clears throat> excuse me. We all agree with scripture, the future is uncertain, right? I mean, not, not with scripture. We all agree with each other, excuse me, that the future is uncertain. And we can all agree with scripture uh, not to presume upon God's sovereignty as we plan for the future. That's what I was trying to say. So we all agree it's uncertain. We all agree with scripture not to presume upon the sovereignty of God as we plan for the future. So here's our choice. We can either live unsatisfied lives grumbling about our present circumstances, looking backwards, longing for a former, presumably more controllable reality, or we can live lives marked by joy in the midst of present realities, right? This is the irony, the very thing we hold on to when we live in the past, which is control, is the thing we have to relinquish if we're gonna be joyous and fulfilled in the present. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about the good now days, right? Ecclesiastes chapter 9. As we look at this passage, I just want to tell you a little bit about Ecclesiastes. Don't have time this morning to go into a full, like, introduction on Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, probably. Um, doesn't name himself. The author is Kohelet. Uh, doesn't ever exactly identify who that is, but... Most scholars believe that's probably Solomon looking back from the end of his life. You remember when he was a young man, he prayed for wisdom. God gave him wisdom. We have Proverbs. 
Ecclesiastes is more like he's sitting around the fireplace reflecting on all that he's learned during his life and sharing that wisdom with maybe his grandchildren or great-grandchildren. That's kind of how I want you to picture Ecclesiastes. Um, he's talked in other parts of, of Ecclesiastes um, about the God-shaped void that's inside everybody. Life is meaningless. It's all vapor. We all have this God-shaped void in our lives. It has to be filled with something. Let's fill it uh, with God. And because life without God's presence, he says, is, is meaningless. He, he writes about fearing God with a healthy fear. He writes about trusting God's ways. And he, it's basically just wisdom he's passing on. And so we come to chapter 9 of Ecclesiastes. And uh, he's sharing some of that wisdom that he's gained over the course of his life. And I'm going to invite you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of God's Word. I'm not going to ask you to read it all with me together this morning, but please to follow along and to listen as I read verses 1 through 12 of Ecclesiastes 9. He says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears, as is he who shuns the oath, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead. But he, <clears throat> excuse me, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Go, eat your bread with joy. Drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I say that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Let's just stop there. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Father, thank you for the wisdom of Solomon. Help us to unpack it well this morning. Help me to do honor to the text. Lord, may your word for us speak loudly today and clearly in spite of all of the shortcomings of the messenger. And I pray these things today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go ahead and be seated. So that's a little bit of a long text, and we're going to go back and kind of break it down um, a little bit at a time. But I want us to glean just three principles, three principles from, 
from that text as we talk about life in the good now days, all right? And the first one is this. If we're going to have joy in life in the good now days, we have to remember that our lives are in God's hands. Now, that seems so obvious that I almost didn't include it this morning, right? We've been singing about our lives being in God's hands most of our lives. Actually, we sing about the whole world being in his hands, don't we? He's got the where? Right? But do you know it is possible to sing songs like that out of habit without thinking about what we're really saying or ever internalizing the truth of those words or those lyrics and appropriating that message for our lives. He's got the whole world in his hands. Now what's for lunch? You know? So it's possible to, to say it and hear it and think it without ever really stopping to internalize it and saying, you know what? He does. So we're not going to skip it just because it seems obvious. Verse 1, but all this I laid to my heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. You see, in this life, we don't know whether tomorrow will bring love or hate, whether it will bring good times or sad times, bad times. But for those who love the Lord, we can take comfort knowing that whatever happens has first passed through the hands of God. All right, but let's be honest. To stop and consider that is not natural. You know, this is a kind of terrible thing that's happened to me, but I'm going to take comfort in the fact that this first passed through the hand of God. It's not natural, right? Natural is to look backwards and think about how great things were before this happened. So it's not natural, but you know what? It's supernatural. Faith isn't natural. Faith is supernatural. It's easy to trust God's wisdom and love when life is good, when things make sense to us. But it takes faith to trust God's wisdom and love when things are not easy. It takes faith to trust God's wisdom and love when things don't make sense. And may I say, it takes faith to trust God's wisdom and love when the sin-sick world seems to be racing towards self-destruction. It takes faith to say, I will take comfort and joy knowing this has first passed through the hand of God. The verse right above what we read, chapter nine, the last verse of chapter eight, verse 17, he says, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. That verse, 817, reminds us God's always at work, always at work in the world, in our lives, even when we don't see it or don't know or realize all the details. Solomon had learned and the Bible teaches here that it is wise to put our faith in God even when we don't know all the details. Now look, verse one doesn't guarantee life will always be without tears for people who love the Lord. Scripture never promises that. But we can know that in these tough times, our tears are meaningful. We don't have to cling to the past. We don't have to lament present circumstances. We don't have to fear the future. We can live fulfilled lives now in the good now days, living each day to his fullest regardless of the circumstances because we journey with him. He's in this journey with us. And it says that this is all passed through his hand. 
Pastor John Piper said many, many years ago, like 20 years ago probably it's been, uh, he was facing cancer. And he used this word and it, and it offended a lot of people. He was writing an article reflecting on the journey he was going through. And he, he described it this way. He said, I know God designed my cancer for a purpose. And that, like I said, that offended some people. It struck them just wrong, this, this notion that God designed his cancer. Now look, you could quibble with this choice of words. Um, but I appreciate his point. And that his point was that God was in it with him, that this cancer didn't just fall on him, that it, he was going through this knowing that God had him and his cancer in his hands. So see, folks, we can live full, meaningful, joy-filled lives now in these days, whatever comes our way, because we remember our lives are in his hands. Okay? You want to take it over to the New Testament? Uh, I'm the good shepherd in my sheep. What? No one can pluck them out of my hands. Uh, but second point I want us to see from, from Ecclesiastes here. Excuse me. Uh, y'all give me some latitude here. And I want to say it this way. Don't let fear of death rob you of your present joy. All right? I'm going to say it that way and then we'll look at the text and try to break it down. Don't let fear of death rob you of your present joy. Uh, why am I saying that? Well, verse 2 explains to us how death is universal. Death is no respecter of persons. It is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. This is ESV translation. When it says event there, it's referring to death. It's the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice, to him who worships and him who doesn't worship, right? As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is, is he who shuns an oath. So it's, death is no respecter of persons, right? It's gonna fall on everybody. Did he leave anybody out there? And then we come on down in verse three, and what we realize in verse three is death is the result of sin. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that, they go to the dead. So verse two, death is no respecter of persons. Verse three, uh, death results from sin, and because everyone is a sinner, everyone dies. Now, what, what he's pointed out here so far goes right along with Genesis chapter three and what we read about the fall and the punishment that came as a result of the fall. So he's not necessarily charting new ground here, uh, but he's just pointing out the reality of the situation. But then he comes and he makes this statement in verse four. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. Okay. Where's he going there? A living dog is better than a dead lion. So dogs in ancient Near Eastern cultures were considered dirty, vile, low. Um, my little throw pillow dog in my house would cringe at that thought. She's the princess of the house. 
But in ancient Near Eastern cultures, dogs, you know, dogs were looked like street dogs, you know. Nobody wanted a dog in their house. Uh, and lions, on the other hand, lions, of course, were regal, right? Strong, bold, beautiful. Uh-huh. And he comes along and he makes this statement that even a, a living dog is better than a dead lion. So here's where I think he's going with this, right? Life is a gift that God gives. And even the poor and weak among us who remain alive, at least we're living. You know, what good would it be to have been rich and powerful in this life uh, but to be dead? Remember the old bumper sticker, he who dies with the most toys still dies? I'm not trying to make light here this morning. I'm not, I'm not trying to be uh, trite about this. Um, Solomon's not making light of death, so please don't misunderstand. But in this life, in this sin-sick world where death is a universal reality, the thing we must remember is there is still opportunity for salvation and joy. As long as you have life and breath, there is still an opportunity for salvation and joy. Uh, but what happens? Upon death, now our fate is sealed. We stand before God and we stand before God in judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 it is appointed to man once to die and after this, the judgment. So nobody standing before God is gonna have the opportunity to say, wait a minute. Now I realize I was a sinner. Now I believe Jesus died for my sins. So let me just stop back over to this side of eternity and take another run at this thing. We're not gonna get that option. So as long as we have life and breath, we may be the sickest, lamest, nastiest, dirtiest dog in the street. But as long as we have life and breath, we've got something up on that big, strong, regal lion that's already died. That's what, that's what Solomon's getting at here. Um, we still have these opportunities that a deceased person won't have. So in addition to the fact that while we're still living, we have the opportunity for salvation and joy, the fact remains, while we're still living, we enjoy many things that cease when our life on earth ceases. And we're, we're allowed to enjoy those things. And we're gonna talk about that in just a minute. But keep in mind, please, Solomon's not writing from a perspective of what happens when we get to heaven. He's not trying to write, you know, a complete systematic theology on the afterlife or on the second coming or any of that. So please don't accuse him of not having an eternal hope here. That's not his point. Um, the New Testament teaches clearly that for a believer, when we close our eyes for the last time in this earth, we open them in the presence of Jesus. We agree with the Apostle Paul in Galatians to live is Christ, to die is gain. We're not, we're not disagreeing with that. We're not diminishing that. The question then is, how do we live until that moment? How do we live until that becomes reality? And that's Solomon's point here in this text. And so from a strictly temporal perspective, from a strictly earthly perspective, the poorest, weakest person on earth is, has an advantage over the person who died with the most wealth and the most toys. And so the application here is this. Don't let 
your circumstances rob you of your joy, by all means, don't let the idea of death's universality, universality rob you of your joy. Don't let fear of death rob you of your joy because as long as you have life, there's a reason to have joy. All right. Uh, so when times get tough, when you get discouraged, when you're ill, when life seems to be in shambles, it will be easy to either wish to go back to a former time and place or to say, God, just take me now. But Solomon here in Ecclesiastes is reminding us that whatever our lot in life, it's still life. So make the most of it. And that leads right in then to the third point that I want you to see this morning from this chapter. And that is this, that uh, if we're going to experience life and joy in the good nowadays, enjoy the life God has given you while you still can. So I'm repeating some of these things because I didn't get, uh, I didn't get Tammy and Brandon the notes in time this week, so that's my fault, not theirs. So I'll repeat that. Enjoy the life God has given you while you still can. Say, so, now where are you getting that from? Well, remember, he's already told us death is universal, right? That's where I get while you still can. Um, but then he's going to show us in verses 7 and following several ways to enjoy life. Remember, he said that the sick dog's better than the dead lion. Uh, Enjoy it while you still can. And so he's gonna show us a few things here. Look at verse seven. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Um, we could say it this way. Enjoy good food and good friends. It's not trite. Now, I don't mean to be like a TGI Fridays commercial or something, but like God has made this creation. He's He's put this here for us. He's given us dominion over it, right? Y'all know what dominion doesn't just mean go ruin it all? Did y'all know that? It doesn't mean just go kill everything and ruin all the, no, he gave us dominion, meaning go enjoy. Uh, this is all for you. And then he, he refers to uh, having a merry heart. God's like, he's put these people in your life. Enjoy their presence. Verse eight. Uh, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. And I think this is alluding to um, some of their festivals and some of their uh, rituals that they would go through. And so if we can put that in a, in, a, in a contemporary language, maybe we could say it this way. Remember special occasions. My mother and father-in-law are here this morning and we like to go have Christmas with them every year with 27 people in the same house. And there are times that I don't have the best attitude because sometimes, you know, I don't. And <laughs> that's a lot of people. It's really not 27, it's like 20. Uh, but I need this reminder sometimes. Stuart, God has put these people in your life. He's put these special occasions in your life. Enjoy them. Right before you can't, uh, and then we keep reading on verses nine through twelve. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read. Well, yeah, well, I better. I better read nine a. I'll be in trouble if I don't. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love. <laughs> right? Uh, 
Again, again, ladies, men, like conventional wisdom, the, the world, right, has this image of the woman just nags the man all the time and so he just sits on the couch with the remote and he's a good for nothing, no count, lazy bones, right? This is, this is not God's will for you. Enjoy the person he put there. Enjoy your spouse, like if you're married. Um, and so here's where I'm going, right? There's so much in our lives that we can't control, but we can control our attitudes. We can control how we respond. We can control whether or not we will live lives marked by joy, enjoying the things God's placed in our life. And listen, here's where we, I guess where we really wanna go with this this morning. If you are a Christian, if you claim the name of Christ, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, this isn't optional. As believers, we should never resort to just going on, opining, whatever term you wanna use, about the good old days when God has called us to live meaningful, fulfilling, joyful lives in the present tense. All right? Um, I mean, just... Let's look at our New Testament. Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Are you seeing this? May the God of hope fill you with joy so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In a sense, joy precedes hope here. All right? Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Come on. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I think I probably left one out. Um, but joy is an evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in our lives. Colossians 1 verse 11, may you be strengthened for endurance with patience and joy. Endurance joy, if we are growing believers, maturing believers in Christ Jesus, joy is God's will for us as growing Christians. So yes, Solomon wrote this in a time before the coming of Christ, right? We, we recognize that. This is Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. He wrote this in a time before the coming of Christ, but the kind of joy in the present tense, this kind of joy in the good now days, this recognizing that our lives are in God's hands, not fearing the universality of death, enjoying the life we've been given to its fullest, this kind of joy can only be found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what I would say to us as Christians, we who claim ourselves as followers of Christ, let us live up to our high calling as those who bear the very name of our Savior. Let our words and our deeds and our actions bear witness to his joy in all things. And may we never cease to proclaim to others that in Christ, they too can live in the good now days. Right, folks, like I said a minute ago, or 20 minutes ago, or whatever it's been, it does seem at times like this world is just running at a breakneck pace to its own self-destruction. 
So in the midst of that, let us live differently. Let us live lives marked by the joy. Know what Terry told the children, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Living life in the good now days. Joy in the present tense. Lord, thank you so much uh, for the privilege of just sharing your word this morning. Thank you for Solomon. Lord, we know Solomon was not a perfect man. Lord, we know Solomon made a lot of bad decisions. And we know he learned a lot of these lessons the hard way. And so, God, I thank you that in your word, in Scripture, you have saved for us the wisdom that he chose to pass on during his latter years of life. And so, God, I pray that as we do live in a sin-sick world, that we would be people who are marked by the joy that comes only from our relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember in those times when our flesh doesn't want to remember, when our natural man is, is kicking in. Help remind us faith is supernatural. Remind us that it all has passed through your hands. You've got the whole world in your hands. Lord, help us to, to live joyfully in spite of the reality of universal death that's all around us every day. Help us not to fear tomorrow, knowing the salvation and joy that we can have in Christ in the present. And Lord, help us to enjoy the life you've given us while we still can. And Father, we know that's not possible in its fullest, truest sense outside of a relationship with Christ. And so I pray, Lord, this morning that you would stir in the hearts of, of people to respond to Jesus Christ today. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right, in just a minute, we're gonna have a time of response. And um, I'm just gonna remind you, this kind of joy can only be known if you've got that relationship with Jesus. And so if you don't have that relationship with Christ today, uh, I'll be standing right down front here. Minister, other ministers will be on the aisles. Just come and say, hey, I need that joy. I need that. I need Christ's joy in my life. I want to live life to the fullest in the present, and I know I can only do it through him. Come tell us that, and we'll walk through this part of God's word with you, and you can settle that matter for eternity. Maybe you need to come and unite with this church family. Say, I need to be a part of Hunter's Glen. I've been visiting for a long time. I've been attending. I'm in a life group, but I've never made that that, that step of commitment of, of joining this church. Listen, just because pastor's down in Round Rock today leading a men's conference doesn't mean the Holy Spirit might not be prompting you to come and unite with this church family. Maybe you just need to come and kneel at the steps. This is always available during our response time to just come and kneel and pray and, and just talk to the Lord. Maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you want to come and uh, like Gabriel did this, this at the beginning of this service, Maybe you need to come like Gabriel and uh, make that public confession and say, Jesus is my Lord and follow him in believer's baptism. So I don't know what the Spirit might be prompting today, but I'm gonna invite you please to stand and we're gonna sing. And as we sing, you respond. <laughs>